Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, September 15th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or tweet me any questions you like at stewthewineguru on Twitter and add hashtag or pound sign STWG to the end of your question and I'll read them live on the show. I want to thank all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and all the shows that I'm currently part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and TheExaminer.com, so look for those as well. I've made a Wine 101 video series that can be viewed on both YouTube or my website, so check those out. You're listening to Student Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com. I think you already knew that already, right? Yeah. Cheers. I have a fantastic guest on tonight for you who makes phenomenal wine. And he's been on one of the Sonoma's best winemakers for many years. His wine company produces consistently good reds and equally consistent whites. His name is Tom Mackey, and the vineyard is St. Francis Vineyards, and he will be with us shortly. Of course, the number to call in, as always, 1-646-381-4860, or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email me your questions for both Tom and I to info at stewthewineguru.com, or tweet your questions to stewthewineguru on Twitter, and add hashtag or pound sign STWG at the end of your question, and I will read it live on the show. 
As always, I've opened a chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of Tom or myself, and I'll check into the chat room periodically during the show to get answers for you. In a world where there are many wine experts and know-it-alls, there's only one Stu the Wine Guru, and he'll be right back. But first up, I have an announcement to make. I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter. I am enjoying the immediacy of the medium. I like the ability to give updates in real time, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show. So thanks to Twitter and social media. I think it's fantastic. Also, all of you wanting to know what events I'll be attending so you can meet me, October 1st, 2010, I will be at the Molly Duker Tasting at Morton Steakhouse in Miami. And then on October 15th and 16th, I'll be at the Miami International Wine Fair. I'll have a full TV production crew, and I'll be covering the whole event. In addition, I'm going to do a radio show broadcast uh, on Sunday that will recap all of the events. And so if you didn't make it there, uh, you can listen in on Sunday and get uh, a recap of everything that went on and all the things that I saw and did, the people I spoke to. Uh, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be covering the whole event, interviewing winemakers, exhibitors, keynote speakers, uh, even attendees. So come down, meet me, and say hi. Since I'm a media sponsor for the Miami International Wine Fair, I was able to work out an incredible deal for all my listeners. When you purchase your tickets online at www.miamiwinefair.com, put in the code STWG, and you're going to receive a 20% discount off your ticket purchase. That's right, 20%. So uh, if you're thinking of coming down to Miami, where, from wherever you are, you definitely want to make sure you take advantage of that deal. Now, even better, if you've been following me on Twitter, as I know you have, then you know that I'll be giving away free two tickets to the Miami Wine Fair each radio broadcast from now up until the fair. So all you have to do tonight to win is to be my ninth caller, and you win the tickets. So, uh, and what I'll do is I'll let you know. I'll uh, have you send all the information for me to send it to my email address, uh, and I'll get all that information. Now remember, if you have questions, I have answers and tickets to give away, so call me at 1-646-381-4860 or email me at info at stewthewineguru.com or get into the chat room, voice your opinion. Of course, you can get on Twitter and tweet your questions to at stewthewineguru. Remember to add hashtag or pound sign STWG at the end of your question so I'll know to ask myself or Tim the question. Let me make sure that everyone listening knows, excuse me, Tom, let me make sure everyone listening knows Tom's website and can go there for more information about his great wines. 
To learn more about Tom and St. Francis Wines, go to www.stfrancis.winery.com. That's S-T-F-R-A-N-C-I-S-W-I-N-E-R-Y.com. To find out, you can find out about uh, his wines, buying them locally in your town, or buy them directly from St. Francis. That's the beauty of the Internet. So, without further wait, let's bring on my guest for tonight, Tom Mackey of St. Francis Vineyards. Tom, welcome. Thank you, Stu. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. And yourself? I'm doing okay. It's uh, a test of patience out here. Uh, what's that? It's a test of patience out here. Oh, is it? <laughs> yes. We uh, Normally, we'd be harvesting this time of year, but because of the long, cool summer we've had, we are in the waiting mode. Wow, because I thought people were already in crush mode in certain places. Well, uh, for the sparkling wines, some some of the uh, warmer area, Central Valley uh, grapes are coming in, but here in Sonoma, it's uh, everybody's pretty much in the same situation. We are uh, anxiously awaiting the uh, full ripening. Oh, sure, sure. Well, you know, I want to say first, I want to thank you for being on my show and having a chat with my listeners and I about your great wine. So uh, it's really great to have you here tonight, and I want to say that at the top of the show first and foremost. I really yeah. appreciate that. Glad to um, be here. Thank you. So, let me start off with my questions for you because I have a, a bunch. I've got uh, ones that I want to ask you. I've got some that my uh, that my listeners have emailed in. So, you know, we'll take it step by step here. So, it all started in 1971 with Joe and Emma Martin after they purchased the the Bella Ranch Vineyard in Kenwood. Um, they were growing and selling the grapes to the local wineries. Correct. That's correct. So what was the decision to start St. Francis and make wine in, in you know, in 79? I know, you know, they did a, a good amount of time selling the grapes uh, that they were growing to the, the local wineries. What made them make that decision? Well, as, as Joe always likes to say, the founder of the winery, he, um, he didn't, he was always a, a, a farmer and a grape grower. And uh, I guess he says he built the wine because he didn't take the advice of his shrink. But um, he... Uh, Started the winery and uh, built it in 1979, and um, uh, was still selling some fruit. Made a little wine that year, and it built up. And then I came aboard in '83. Right. Now, you basically put Sonoma on the wine map. I have to tell you that. Uh, how is how has winemaking really changed from the early years, and how has it stayed the same? Oh, uh, it's it basically the, the biggest changes, believe it or not, are in the vineyards. Uh, how right. the uh, how the grapes are grown, uh, what uh, rootstocks you're looking at, um, what uh, clones you're using. And back then, 20, 30 years ago, it was almost scattershot where you planted a whole lot of different varieties and hoped that a couple connected. Well, right now, sure. that's people don't do that now. What you you basically uh, know your soil type, your climate, uh, what what varieties, what rootstocks and varieties you want to put in the ground, and then how they're trained. Uh, when I started, there was something called California Sprawl, where each vine, even if it was on a trellis, looked like just a giant bush. Well, now that's so much different, where the where the uh, canes, the, the positioning of the uh, the canes on the on the gra- on the uh, vine, the grapes being located in the central part, uh, with a little bit of sunshine, uh, accessibility, a little bit of wind circulation, and usually a little bit of smaller crop too. So a lot of things have happened all for the better in the vineyards, 
Uh, and over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, the, the, the advancements are, have been remarkable. As far as in the winery, it's um, tannin management, it's uh, fermentation techniques, a lot of other aspects are being taken. It, it's not as interventionist as it used to be, but um, uh, the barrels you want to use for aging, when to press, the, there, there's a 101 different factors uh, that have been introduced over the years, all basically all for the better. Everything that has been introduced to here and in a lot of winery is, is, is primarily, if not exclusively, for uh, quality enhancement. Right. So, so let me ask. Uh, you know, there's microclimates, and uh, you know, and then Sonoma County is really the a macroclimate. So, without getting obviously too technical, I, but I know that my listeners do like to learn something. Uh, when they listen to the show, could you just explain a little bit to, about the, that one versus the other microclimate versus the macroclimate? Well, sure, absolutely. Macroclimate, as you said, it, it's the it's the whole region, if you will, right. the county, or for that matter, the north north uh, north coast. But a microclimate is if you look at the, if you look at our vineyards here and, and also not only in Sonoma but to, over to in Napa, you're you're influenced by both the San Francisco Bay and the Pacific Ocean. And so right. uh, that, that basically is a summer cooling, uh, a, um, a thermostat, if you will, where, where the fog will come in and cool the uh, vineyards, where you're a little bit closer, where the ground's the, a little bit lower, say, along the uh, immediate bay side or along uh, rivers, such as either the Russian River or the uh, Carneros. That's going to be a cooler area, and uh, you wouldn't want warm warmer climate grapes there. They'd struggle to ripen, whereas... With uh, the cooler grapes like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, they do great, whether it's in the Russian River, the Carneros, other cooler areas. And uh, um, early ripening grapes do well. The later ripening grapes, like the Bordeaux, they need a little bit warmer. Uh, they need uh, a bet, uh, ideally a hillside with a west-southwest facing, uh, either just, ab- uh, just above the fog line would be great. And in Sonoma, uh, many of the best, uh, say, the Bordeaux or the Cabernet vineyards, are on hillsides, ideally with the west-southwest exposure. Right. That's, and that's great because, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot to be, to be learned about the, those, like I said, the macroclimate versus micro and, and the area of Sonoma, um, you know, because people tend to know a lot for some reason about Napa in general. And, um, and Sonoma, I think there needs to be more information about it and, and, and explained as to the differences between the way things are done um, in Sonoma versus Napa. Um, so 11 years ago, let's go to, we'll jump ahead a little bit, 1999, the construction of the new winery was completed. Tell us how that impacted the winemaking process. Well, it's one of these instances where uh, few winemakers have an opportunity to have a um, uh, significant, if not major, hand in both in designing the facility, equipping, and staffing the new facility. We were at a small winery prior to this, the one that Joe built, and we uh, had uh, exceeded capacity. Part of the land was locked up on what's called open space, which means we sold our developmental rights to a fair amount of the vineyard, which means we couldn't expand uh, uh, into the vineyard, and we were actually going to other wineries and using their facilities to um, to uh, produce some of the wines, and that became a little bit unwieldy. And so in the late 80s, we decided to, well, the old St. Francis equipment's a little bit outdated. Uh, the uh, We could do a lot better. 
And so we uh, we built the new winery just about two miles up the road from the old winery, and uh, it has allowed us ba- actually to make uh, better wine in that we have uh, two wineries within one. We have the main winery, and then off in one corner of it, we have what's called the artisan winery, where we do very small lots, experiments, right. um, uh, anywhere from 40 to 500 case lots. And it, it, it allows us to see to try something there to see if we can transi- transition it into the larger winery. That's a great way of doing it, I have to say, because you really can kind of tend to it um, and focus a, a little bit more. And, and as you were saying, experimenting and seeing what works, what doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it's kind of a learning process. It's always a learning process. Am I right? Oh, you, you figure, you, if, you, if you think you know it all, then, then retire. <laughs> so uh, I have I've, I've still a lot to learn. Oh, and I, I tell you, that's the that's the amazing thing. And I've said this, uh, you know, on the show before. Um, the one beauty, th- the beautiful thing about wine is this, in that it's the journey, right? You, you know, from the first wine you try uh, to the last wine you try, let's just say, um, it's that time you can you can go your whole life and never try the same two wines twice. And it's that journey between that first wine that you try and that last wine you try that uh, you know that that's worth it, makes it worth it. You know, the whole thing worth it. And all um, along the journey, there is there are some memorable wines that, that tend to stick out. That in absolutely. fact they haven't they haven't influenced my my winemaking and direction. Just just saying that this is a. This is I a would think so, wine. and that was going to be that actually dovetails into the next question I was going to ask you. So, you know, what were your influences early on, and have they changed over the course of time? And and before you answer that, I just want to say, you know, there's. Uh, the old world influences, of course, France and, and all that. And then there's, the, you know, of course, the new world influences, everyone around you. Uh, what, do, you do you take more from one or from the other? Well, my, when I really started out investigating wine back in the late 60s, it was primarily uh, European wines. Uh, um, California was still in the... Um, in the, uh, the in beginning of the growth curve, both with um, quality and the number of wineries, and of course uh, France, or for Europe, Germany, uh, um, Italy, uh, Portugal, Spain. They uh, they had they were readily made. I grew up in San Francisco, so these wines are readily available, and uh, that's where basically I got my uh, primary interest. Uh, you know, before that, it was um, of course in high school, and that's a whole other story. But uh, right. as far as my investigating, um, my beginning investigating the wine, it started out with the European wines, and I, I developed a uh, initial liking for Burgundy, but I uh, transitioned to more of the Bordeaux varieties, and I've kind of, I've kind of stuck there. I did like the Rhones. I always liked the, um, the uh, Rheingau's and, and, and Rheinhessens and Mosels, but uh, it's, you, you, you've worked towards something, and I've always had a soft spot for the uh, Bordeaux varieties. Yeah, and I, I think you can kind of tell in some of your wines, you can kind of, you see that. I definitely think um, in Anthem, you know, that, that definitely rings true. That's one of your, I, I think that, that blend definitely is reminiscent of Bordeaux. Um, so let me go to, let's see, another. I, have, I do have some uh, email questions for you, Tom, so let me take some of those and, and get some answers from my listeners. The first one is Catherine uh, from Marseille, France, and it says, Stu, we love your show here in Marseille, c'est bon. Uh, my question for Monsieur 
Mackie is, um, what is the difference in terroir and taste of a Sonoma wine versus a Napa Valley wine? It says, thanks and bonsoir. I would think that's, that's a good question. And I would think ultimately it's um, more of climate than, than soil. We have a lot of similar soil structures. We're basically all from the same um, volcanic flow, however many hundred million years ago. So sure. the soil makeup, we have the same, uh, very similar loam between the Mayakamas range, either side of the Mayakamas range that separates Napa from Sonoma. I don't think, I don't think it's a, a matter of, um, of soil as much as it is climate. They are one valley further inland from Sonoma, the one hillside, I should say, uh, further inland, and so they tend to be a little bit warmer. And uh, over the years, they found that, um, uh, you know, being a student of uh, wine, watching the evolution of Napa from a multi-variety um, uh, valley to basically a, uh, a Bordeaux valley. They still have a little bit of Zin and a little bit of Chardonnay, but by and large, Napa is a, um, a, a Cabernet valley, and that's not by accident. They found that it, the, the variety, the Bordeaux varieties, do exceptionally well there. And uh, whereas in Sonoma, uh, although I take it back, Napa does have Carneros uh, further south, and that tends to be cooler, the uh, Napa side of Carneros, so they can bring in Chardonnay, maybe a little Pinot Noir, other early ripening varieties. But most of the valley, up valley, central and up valley, is, is, is warm, where, where Cabernet basically and the, and the Bordeaux varieties are king. Sonoma, on the other hand, since we are closer to the ocean and the, uh, the uh, bay influence, the maritime influence, that... Uh, we, um, to, 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 to get that kind of warmth, more times than not, we need to go into an Indian Valley like Dry Creek or, um, or Alexander Valley or up on the hillside to get a comparable, uh, level of heat and ripening for those Bordeaux varieties. But then you have the intermediate areas which do great for Zinfandel and the cooler areas which are Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And, uh, although mentioning Zinfandel, that does, that does well in cooler and warmer. Zinfandel is a whole nother topic. Yeah, because it's a, it's a hardier uh, vine and, and uh, varietal. Um, yeah, and I was going to say, so do you think that contributes to the complexity and the boldness of your wines? Because they tend to be, they tend to vary in complexity and boldness, but that seems to be the first thing that comes to mind, both complexity and boldness. Uh, so what do you attribute to that? Do you think it's really the climate aspect of it? Uh, it, it's, well, it's where you are and you're looking for a warmer climate for those varieties. And also it's a stylistic aspect of the, of the St. Francis wines is that we, um, we do like the, uh, more structure, more size, more depth and intensity. That is the style that I set the last nearly 30 years. And, um, we, we like to follow that. Doesn't mean that the wine is not balanced or complex. It just means that it's, um, that um, we do not uh, overly focus on delicacy, let's say. Yeah, <laughs> I like that explanation, Tom. That's great um, and accurate, right on the uh, right on the money. The thing I was going to say to you was, what's nice, and you may, I think you might agree with me on this, is that the fruit bombs, as they've been dubbed, of the past ten or so years that have come out just out in general out of California, we'll say, in general. Um, yours have not gone in that direction when it came to some of the uh, signature varietals like Cabernet Sauvignon, where they have been, true to form, really bold, 
uh, well-structured, and for my money, some of the best-tasting Cabernet Sauvignons that are uh, that are out there. So, uh, you know, I, I want to first say hats off to you on that, in doing that, in creating something, uh, and not really moving towards that movement of fruit-forward kind of fruit bomb on that on that level or going towards that level uh and so that's 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 one thing i i say distinguishes you from from everybody else and t- it takes you out of the fold would you would you agree on that one well yes i do and i appreciate you mentioning it i think that those kind of wines i think are immediately upfront pleasurable but they get tedious rather rapidly and without yeah. a good balance of acidity uh moderated tannins uh good uh if if uh, uh sub subtle oak influences you want basically the entire package and just not a big blast of fruit in the mouth you you know that that's um uh i i think that there are obviously there's a market for that but that's just not our direction we we prefer something that that um works well by itself with the meal and um and after having a glass of that we'd prefer somebody to have another Rather than okay, yeah. I'm bombed out now, so let's go elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's that, again right on the money. Um, so let me just I'll grab another email question. This one, the next one is from Marisol52 from Lisbon, Portugal, and it says, "You've great show. I've watched your Wine 101 videos and learned a lot from it. Um, my question for Tom is." Do you ever make wine that you leave in the barrels for more than 12 months to 24 months? And then it says, thank you, and I'll listen to the rest of the show. Okay, that's a good question about barrel aging. There was one time when we would bring a particular wine in from a high coastal uh, um, uh, valley uh, that required about 30 months in age just to soften a little bit, soften the tannins, and and move and, and try to... Uh, try to um, uh, soften also some of the more herbal characters of that vineyard, and I'm finding that. And I'm obviously I didn't invent this, or, or uh, but I found that as you let the as you let the grapes more mature on the vine, the tannins will resolve themselves more in, in, within the berries than having to bring it in and maybe use egg whites or soften it or try to tame them. If we could get our tannins in the berries softened with ripeness, then um, I'm finding that I don't have to leave the wine in the barrel, say more than, say 16 or so months. You're getting your, uh, you're getting your influence from barrel. Barrels do three things basically. They um, help soften the wine, they help clarify wine, and they will add just a little bit of oak flavor, depending on which uh, barrel, which cooper, and which uh, toast level, and other things. And so I'm finding that if you, if in most cases, if you extended much longer than that, the the benefits of softening has already been done. And then you're risking a little bit over oakiness on the wine. And I, I try to leave oak as basically a very faint, subtle uh, component and not an overpowering two-by-four between the eyes. Right. Um, okay. So I have a, let's see, I'll go to another question here from, let's see, uh, the next one is from uh, Giannis Gotoldo of Athens, Greece. It says, um, See the wine guru, you are quite popular with my friends here in Athens. We listen every week. I would like to ask Tom, do you think that winemakers in California are making, uh, I guess this kind of goes to what we just kind of talked about, and um, I guess uh, 
they'll, they'll just have to I, – I guess you might have to repeat this, but do you think that the winemakers in California are making more fruit-forward wines? And if so, what are your feelings on that? And I guess we kind of covered that a little bit. Well, you're before. basically, though, we are, we are at the whim of uh, the weather. And so yeah. we are a little bit warmer than Bordeaux. We're or more, say, if you will, Spanish or Italian type of climate. And so we uh, – and also it usually, usually doesn't rain after, say, uh, May – until November, and so we have um, the wines. We we're given a certain amount of uh, heat that gives a certain level of ripeness, and from that we make a, a, something that's pretty distinctively California. But the best winemakers will take that and and uh, work on complexity. Uh, it has to start in the vineyards. It, if you don't have in the vineyards, then um, uh, you, you don't go. You can't get it. But once once it's in the vineyards, and and you and you have fine grapes planted, grown. And harvest at just the right time. You don't have to have the fruit bond. You'll have a rich wine. I think that that's that has become the California signature is is rich, full wines. But you can still have that and have balanced wines. Right. Because you know what, what tends to happen is is that you get a, a much higher alcohol content. Um, I've, I've noticed that as of recently, and I don't know. That almost seems to be across the board. That's a question I want to ask you. I guess. Um, you know, what do you think the the movement towards bringing up the alcohol level on it? Uh, you know, fifteen percent, uh, high fourteens. Why I do you think, think that, things? Have... I would say that that's a that is not a something that's been deliberately sought after. It is a uh, byproduct of getting full ripeness, softer tannins, and, and getting rid of the uh, herbal or excessively. Um, uh, bell pepper character, primarily in Bordeaux, that you will get if the fruit isn't fully ripe. And so once the fruit is what you're seeking, ripeness, once the tannins are, are, are moderated, uh, then you, you're going to, of course, have a little bit higher sugar, and that translates into higher alcohol. It is not something that, that, the, uh, that the winemakers are, are seeking out. It is just a byproduct. If we could find a yeast that would, um, that would, that would have a much uh, less efficient conversion rate, if you will, from uh, sugar to uh, to uh, yeast converts sugar into alcohol, CO2, and energy or heat. Right. And if you can have a yeast strain that would be less, let's say, less uh, efficiently convert uh, as a conversion, um, that would be great. But I, I'm not aware of any right now. I think that when I started in this business many years ago, the average conversion rate was you just take the bricks or the Roughly the sugar of the grape, multiply it say by 0.55, and on the mm -hmm. on the completion of fermentation, that's what your that's what your potential alcohol is going to be. Well, now the yeasts that are used uh, now are in the 0 0.62, 0.63 range of conversion rate, and so bang, you get a full ripeness. It, it's a double whammy. You get full ripe grapes, you're going to get higher alcohol anyway. You use more efficient yeast, and uh, that just exacerbates. So it is, again, as far as the alcohol, it's not something that the, that the winemakers are seeking. It is a byproduct. There are ways, processes, processes to remove excessive alcohol, but more times than not, they um, tend to beat up the wine. So we're looking at just the right ripeness balance, and uh, and that that's another thing that has that has gone up over the last twenty years, is is what has changed is what the definition of ripeness. Got it. Yeah. Um, I have a question here from Ada, from uh, Italy, and it says, let's see, um, I'm going to try to figure out this other question to read it is. It says, Mr. Mc 
Uh, Mackie, your work as a winemaker at St. Francis has, has been a work in progress. Which direction are you looking at today within, within the winemaking process and innovation? Uh, one of the things that we have been doing uh, with our artisan winery uh, is uh, we do uh, sorting of both clusters and individual berries. So, so it, it mm-hmm. tends to uh, we have a, a sorting system that we can now remove um, clusters, a little bunch rot that we can remove leaves, and then when the when the uh, berries come off of the destemmer, we have sorters that'll pull out green berries. Uh, the sorting system actually drops. Uh, some seeds out, so we're removing seeds of the berries also as we're sorting the fruit. As that fruit goes into the tank, you'll have less of the hard tannic influence of the seeds. The wines will come out richer and softer and, and ultimately cleaner, too. We're looking to, to a, uh, adapt a uh, unit like that on our Sonoma County winery. In fact, I'm heading up north to look at a unit this uh, fall, and if it looks, if I'm pleased with it, then we're going to install it in our um, in our, the Sonoma, the bigger winery, to uh, do the same thing. And basically, you're looking for more purity of fruit. You're looking to remove ex- any extraneous things you don't want in the fermenter. Uh, I think other things that we're, we're, we're approaching is um, are the proper use of barrels, uh, filtration, if, in fact, you're going to filter. Uh, there's a lot of aspects that, that, that we're looking on winemaking. Obviously, this is always a work in progress where St. Francis is going is basically just to uh, try to uh, get better every year. You figure this is as good as it gets, like I said earlier, then um, pack it in. But there's right. always ways to notch up, whether it's in the vineyard or in the winery, and we're, we actively pursue the, um, the uh, I wouldn't call it a chimera. I would say we're actively pursuing the, um, the goal of, um, of uh, always notching the quality up a little bit. And I, and I take it the, the hand sorting is part of that uh, in tandem with the sorting machines, right? Correct, correct. We, yeah. um, well, the hand sorting goes along with the machines, but right. um, um, it all is part of a package. And basically, we, we try to get sorting done in the vineyard, invariably stuff comes in that you would rather not go into the tank. And so that's the nature of, of grape farming. Sure. So now I have another one. Let's see. The next one is from Passagiata of, I hope I pronounced that properly, but I think so, Passagiata of Quarto d'Altino, Italy. And it says, uh, Ciao Stu, your show is great. I am from a small town in Italy. Tom, do you think the learning curve for becoming a new vintner is lower than it was when you first got into the industry? That's a good question. Learning curve? I yeah. would say I would say probably higher. Okay. I would say so it's higher now. I, I would say there's... there's um, so much more to learn. Uh, as I remember, when I said uh, about uh, 30 years ago, people would get a piece of land and they'd um, throw on a bunch of different varieties of grapes on there, see what worked. Now, you do the soil samples, you do the, um, you, the, the con- if it's on the hillside, the contours, uh, what kind of uh, uh, varieties, what kind of rootstocks you're going to use, how you're going to set up your, uh, your terracing, your trellising, uh, your growing. Um, there, there's... It, there's a lot more things to know than there were 30 or 40 years ago as far as um, putting in a vineyard, and, the, and not the least of which. The one thing that's pretty constant is expect, expect to lose money for the first few years. I, I think that's almost like, uh, again, that's the, something, a chapter from the, the book of you know, any business in, in this day and age. You have to expect to, to lose money first before you actually start to really see yield any money out of it. Um, so 
let's see. I have some other questions here. Um, something was coming in here. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to something else here. So okay. traditionally, I, I I asked this one question. I started to ask this question as of my recent shows. Uh, everyone that's listening knows that all my guests that come on, uh, every every guest. And all the questions that I ask are unique to that guest. I never ask the same questions except for this one. So the tradition starts as follows. Um, you can have any wine you want. Okay? So tell me a wine you've either had that you thought after drinking it, it was the best you ever tasted, Tom. Knock your socks off. Or a wine you want to try that you're seeking out. Never had a chance to try it but want it. You know that 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 is that is has to be a very tough question. You have to like you have to go from uh, region to region. I think the I seem to remember as far if we, if we want to start in Portugal. I think the I believe it's the '92 uh, Fonseca and Taylor Flaggate ports are just absolutely stunning. Ah, port. Okay. And um, that that uh, in fact um, we make a little port style wine here because I was lucky enough to to uh, uh, meet with the uh, producers there and, and spend the day basically picking their brains. And uh, sure. from that, we've been making a little bit of a port-style wine since 2000. But now, uh, Bordeaux, okay, so go ahead. I'm saying any, you can have any wine, Tom, it, 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 you know, from any time in, in space or any, any wine that you want. You see, you know, you some, this is something I would either have loved to try and I'm seeking it out. I would love to get to get a chance to try this wine, or one that you tried in the past, whenever it was, and you said, you know what, this was so memorable because of this experience. I was, you know, I was in this vineyard. It was Bordeaux. Uh, it was, you know, just before dusk. You know, whatever. But I, I'm, I'm trying to get an idea of something that knocks your socks off, that you just completely memorable. Well, when I was when I first started uh, becoming interested in wine, I, I remember one of the ones that jumps out at me was a uh, 1955 Leoville Barton for uh that's just um that was a very 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 nice wine. I remember the um uh, the 59s and um uh the 60 uh 61 Bordeaux that that takes me back to uh a lot of fond memories. Uh, even back then they were they were uh, special wines, uh, price and everything else, but they were they 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 really got me involved, in, interested I should say in the in the Bordeaux types. Although I do remember some distinctive Burgundies too. Uh, the um, my in fact my first really nice I, I remember that this is a 1969 Domaine du Jac um, uh, Nuit Saint Georges and um, oh yes no I'm sorry I'm sorry it's a Maury Saint Denis. A 1969. Either one of those. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was just a, that I, I had been following Burgundies, and that one just jumped out as its depth of richness, its mouthfeel, sweet without being sweet, the long finish, uh, the floral component to it, and I, geez, this is nice. I could I could go back to liking Burgundy with this. Uh, very nice wines, and I've had a lot of. I remember some of the. Um, uh, very nice uh, Rheingau's, I believe. If not, I also think may I, I seem to remember this 1975 vintage. Uh, okay. In California, uh, I, I go back to the 1968 Beaulieu Pride Reserve Cabernet, just a stunning wine, followed by just as just as nice 1970 
of that. Uh, that got me got me a California convert. Although there are other excellent, uh, uh, Everdon uh, 1974 comes to mind. There are a lot of other um, great Cabernets. I remember the older Zinfandels from Ridge back in the um, uh, 60s and 70s that introduced me to that variety. And I, I could, you know, this was this was amazing wine. Um, uh, that 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 also uh, opened my eyes to uh, what Zinfandel could do, and I I could go on and on. It's there's just been so many. I remember my early on my three favorite shards were a the uh, David Bruce seventy one, my Akama seventy two, and I think a Hanzel uh, nineteen sixty eight. Those those are three Chardonnays that for one reason or another just stick in my mind as just knockout wines. Um, but interestingly, though, I have to say that if you think about the time frame that you're uh, talking about, it's between the late 60s and early 70s. And that, I guess that's a testament to, uh, you know... Having a few memory cells yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there and say that, yeah. Tom. But yes... Uh, However, I was going to say it's a testament to the winemaking during that period of time. And if you look at it, because I'll tell you, I've talked to a lot of people over the course of this show. And although I just recently started this, a lot of the main major winemakers I've talked to around the world seem to go back to two times that I can recall. Either like the late 40s um, or... Uh, the late 60s, early 70s. And I don't know what it is. It's, it's an odd um, occurrence that I, I seem to... I think it might be something that this is, this is what opened your eyes, and this is what really, really brought you into, into the world of exceptional wines. And since then, there's been so many other great wines, but it's like maybe your first girlfriend or something. You always there remember you the, uh, the first and the ones, obviously, there are a lot of wines we, uh, we consume between then and now that, that have long since, uh, left the, uh, left the remembrance, uh, table, but, um, the ones that, the ones that you remember, the, the, the notable ones, uh, and, and I, every year I, I, I run across some great wines too. It's not that all the great wines are 30 years ago, it's just that, uh, the, the number of them are, 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 are have expanded too. Right. And you know, the other thing I, I think I noticed is that, and not to say anything solely about UC Davis having, you know, some great people come out of it and that only UC Davis has great winemakers by any stretch of the imagination. But I think because of that mid-70s uh, era of winemakers coming out of UC Davis, um, when, I guess when you talk to someone who was, let's say, a college student or graduating during that time, something that they would have had that was from the fort, late 40s, early 50s, kind of makes sense, or late 60s, kind of makes sense, because that's what they would have been drinking during that time to make that yeah, an impression. That's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And also so people almost, coming out of people coming out at that age, they um, they were all, at least in California, say Oregon, Washington, they're more pioneers. They were um, they were they were changing the old old ways. They were gradually changing the old ways into the uh, newer ways too. Putting right, vineyards exactly. where you thought where you thought you couldn't grow vineyards or you shouldn't. Uh, doing different trellising, going with rootstocks. 
uh, doing the whole microclimate where we're not going to plant this right here because it's too cold or it's too hot for, for this to do well, and basically mapping out regions, studying and saying, okay, well, this this will uh, this area will be best for this variety, and and not for this, and that that was something that developed in the last thirty or forty years too. Oh, most definitely. I think that's that's like you said, a variety of different things that we take for granted right now uh, in wi- the winemaking process were were just being created, done, thought about, sketched, uh, planted uh, thirty or forty years ago, essentially. Um, so it's you know it's kind of interesting to the winemakers that don't forget their past. Um, I think it serves them well in their winemaking process and as to you know what they're looking to do in the future. I just seem to find that, and and that's something that I'm hearing echoed from a lot of the winemakers that I talk to. Again, around the world, it is it's a sentiment that everyone thinks of. It's not something that's just indigenous to one region. Everyone says. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say everyone seems to tell me that they try, you know, they try to keep some of the, um, you know, I guess the, the thoughts and how they approach things, you know, in the beginning, uh, and, and they keep it access, accessible to them, uh, and you try to utilize it while utilizing modern technology. Well, that, that's, that's one of the most attractive natures of, of, of winemaking, grape growing, is the historic aspect of it. And for as far as we're concerned, we see that in our Zinfandels. We have Zinfandel vineyards that go back to the late 1800s. And, the old vine. You know, the old vine Zinfandel vineyards that, uh, that we still purchase fruit from that, that has three or four generations of family growing it. And, and there's that historical... Um, uh, connection with the past that that uh, that is, isn't so so attractive to to uh, to uh, certain wines, especially Zinfandel. Obviously, other varieties you're not going to find them that old. But something about Zinfandel that you can um, and have these older vineyards that still not only produce good wine but oftentimes great grapes and and uh, and will keep going. Absolutely, some fantastic stuff out of the old vine Zinfandel. That's for sure. The Primitivo, basically, I guess, is uh, the Italian version of that, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I guess my other—I have a question here: of uh, is there any upcoming events at the vineyard or the winery, or news about your wine that you want to impart to my listeners and let them know about the importance of? Well, we uh, we have this Saturday we have uh, our uh, Zinfandel barbecue. Uh, the first part of uh, October, the first Sunday in October, we actually have because of St. Francis. We have a lot of our neighbors um, bring their pets, and we have the animal blessing to go along with St. Francis of Assisi, and that we do that every um, first Sunday of October. That's upcoming. Um, right now, though, my my. <laughs> My thoughts are directed towards getting these grapes to ripen and, and uh, getting the harvest underway. But uh, normally we have uh, events for our wine clubs. Uh, we have other events that we're involved in. Uh, best best thing to do is go online and uh, stfranciswinery.com, and, the, and there'll be a um, whole list of events coming up. Absolutely. In fact, I was just going, going to say, um, you know, if you want to learn more about Tom, you want to learn more about St. Francis, go to www.stfranciswinery.com and check out 
Tom's Wines, uh, all the info there. I, I think I remember seeing uh, a variety of different events. There's a, a calendar that's there as well. And I want to tell you, in talking with your staff, uh, they're wonderful. They're great help. Uh, I want to get that out there as well. So anyone calling up, you know, you're going to be treated extremely well. Uh, you'll get all the information that you need. And uh, the number and all the contact information is there as well. So uh, definitely, if you get a chance, you're going out to Sonoma. You're going to be out there anytime soon. I think this is a must-stop by. You have to get to, to St. Francis because, I, 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 you know, you know you're going to have great wine. You're going to experience great wine. Uh, you're going to enjoy it in great surroundings. Uh, Sonoma is a great place to, to, to go. Uh, this is, at least for the, the next few months, uh, this is a great time. I mean, not that there isn't a bad time to go to Sonoma, but this is a great time to go, uh, you know, for anyone on holiday from anywhere or on vacation. So, uh, and if you want to learn a lot about the winemaking process, you know, you take a tour and uh, you really can learn a lot and really uh, appreciate what, and you know, the amazing thing, I've said this before, uh, you know, if you've never been to a vineyard before, I don't think people really get that understanding of, you don't really know how much you appreciate the smell, uh, that raisiny smell of the grapes on the vine until you actually go and stand there and you can, you know, you get a waft of it and you smell it. It's just a very pleasing, uh, enticing, um, provocative uh, scent and aroma. And, and, and it gives you a, like a preview of what, you know, what you're going to experience. It's just an amazing thing. I, our olfactory nerves that give us kind of that, that ability to, to sense that. Uh, so if you've never been to a, a, a winery and you've never been to a vineyard, certainly Sonoma and certainly St. Francis is a great one to go to. Again, www.stfrancisWinery.com for all that information. Tom? Uh, I have to tell you, I think this has been a wonderful time. I really appreciate it. Very, very informative. Uh, both my listeners and I have learned a lot, and uh, I appreciate that. And um, is, is there anything else that you wanted to let everybody know about other than just obviously go to the site and, and uh, you know, and check it out? Well, Stu, first of all, I can't, I can't mention everybody. I obviously can't do this alone. And I have great support oh. from uh, Chris Silva, the president and CEO of the company. He is so in tune with me and just doing everything we can to make great wine and get the word out that the wine we're making. And also, I like to uh, give plugs to the winemakers that work under me. Uh, Please do. There's, there's Heather Munden. Uh, Dennis Heather Munden handles the, our artisan wines. Uh, Dennis Brell handles our Sonoma County red wines. And uh, Katie Madigan handles our, uh, our white wines. And they're very skilled energetic and uh, uh, dedicated winemakers, and uh, it would be tough, tough to do this without their help. And uh, that's one of the things that, that, that tends to sometimes get overlooked is with the great vineyards and the great winery and, and the great wines, but mentioning the people also involved in, in doing this it, it just, and also all the other people involved. It just couldn't be done without them, and I just wanted to, uh, wanted to bring those guys up. I appreciate that. I'm glad that you did. In fact, um, well, I was going to ask you, are, do you know if next month you're going to be going to the Miami International Wine Fair or anyone going to be, be uh, Excuse me. I'm going to be up to my neck in grapes next, next, next month. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, because what's, going to, what's happened is since this is a late harvest, uh, things yes. get compressed. And so uh, I do have I'm the right. cotton in my office here. 
but uh, I don't. I think it's going to be, if not 24/7, 18/7 for the next um, six or seven weeks. As much wow. as I'd love to go, uh, I, I personally am. Uh, I am uh, a volunteer. Uh, uh, the, the slave chains. I'm volunteered here with. Uh, I volunteered to to be here at the winery, and it's a. Uh, it is truly a labor of love. But uh, by the end of, uh, by the first or second week of November, you're thinking about Hawaii. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, you are welcome anytime, Tom, anytime. Um, and I, I'm, I'm looking, I'll look forward definitely to try to have you on again. There's a lot more uh, I want to talk to you about and, um, you know, get a lot more questions. Um, so thank you again, and uh, and good luck with the uh, with the harvest and good luck with the, the, the schedule for the next seven weeks. Uh, I say don't work too hard, but you know that's uh, that seems like a futile thing to say. Sounds I appreciate like the sentiment. But... No problem. Thanks so much, Tom. I appreciate you being on the show, and have a have a great day and a good evening. Thanks a lot, Stu. Take care. Bye bye. So that was Tom Mackey of St. Francis Vineyards and Winery. Um, fantastic guy, very well, knowledge, very knowledgeable. Um, what a great vineyard, fantastic vineyard. And I, and again, I urge you, I say again, if you're on holiday or you're going to be, um, you know, taking a little vacation time, a little R and R, and you're in California, in Northern California, you got to get to Sonoma. Uh, you know, I love Napa Valley, uh, but Sonoma is really unbelievable. It's really nice as well. Two things that are great there. You can't get a bad bottle of wine or a glass of wine, and you definitely cannot get a bad meal in Sonoma County. Fantastic. Uh, let me give you some updates again. So, Miami International Wine Fair, which is coming up next month. Before you know it, you blink, it's going to be here. Uh, I'm, going, I'm making offers. I'm letting you know that if you call into the show every week that I have – my guests on every show that I have up until the uh, the day of the fair. Um, I'm going to be giving away free tickets, so uh, you'll want to get on the phone and give a call into my show and and get your chance at it. You'll be the number nine caller, and you'll get the two free, free tickets. Uh, in addition to that, uh, um, as I mentioned, October 1st, which is, again, two weeks away, a blink, and you're there, uh, I'm going to have be at the Molly Duker wine tasting at uh, the Morton's Steakhouse in Miami, uh, as well as, uh, let's see, what else is going on here? A uh, bunch of stuff. I tell you, it's, it's fast and furious. Uh, if you go to my website, www.stewthewineguru.com, you can get all the listing of the roster of guests. And let me let you know that right now, between now and the first week in March of 2011, it is action-packed, my friends. I'm going to have uh, some of the top winemakers on from all around the world, from Italy. From, I'm going to have also, of course, uh, Sparky and uh, Sarah Marquis of Molly Duker, the aforementioned Molly Duker. They're going to be on the show, I believe, in December. Um, so there's there's lots to do, there's lots to listen to, and uh, so keep coming back here to the show. I think that's going to be it for the the show tonight. So if you have any questions about uh, Tom Mackey 
and St. Francis, you can always email them to me at info at stewthewineguru.com. I know I didn't get to all the questions that were emailed for Tom, so don't worry. I will get answers for you, and uh, I will email back those answers to all of you that did. Um, again, I want to thank Tom for coming on the show. His website, for more information, www.stfrancisWinery.com. Go there. Find all the information. See about getting some wine. Uh, you can order it directly from him, which is nice. That's a great thing about the Internet. You can do that. Um, or find out where locally in your town you can get it. Uh, I want to thank everyone that emailed into the show with their questions. Uh, if you have any more questions for me, you can go to my website at www.stewthewineguru.com. You'll find out about, you can watch some of the videos that I've made from the uh, Wine 101 series. Uh, you can listen to archive shows. As I mentioned, you can list, look up the roster. So if there's a particular show you're looking forward to uh, listening in or calling into, uh, you can see that on the homepage. As well, that'll give you uh, the dates and the times of the personal appearances and the tastings I'm going to be at. As far as personal appearances, I've gotten emails. Thank you. Uh, all you need to do if you want me to come to a, a personal appearance or event, www.stewthewineguru.com. Uh, just go to my – email me that the request at info at stewthewineguru.com. Uh, let's see what else. I think that's going to do it for tonight. So, as I always say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Drink up good wine and – Good night.